Hello, I'd like to welcome you all to the Department of Defense Bloggers Roundtable for Tuesday, September 17th, 2013. My name is William Selby with the Office of the Secretary of Defense Public Affairs, and I'll be moderating the call today. We are honored to have as our guest, Real Warriors Campaign Profilee, retired U.S. Army Major Ed Polito, as well as uh, the director of, I'm sorry, the uh, Dr. Dan Reidenberg, who is the, the director of SAVE. Did I say that that was your full title, right, Dr. Rodenberg? Executive Director. And uh, they will be discussing SAVE. They will be discussing the resources available for service members and veterans coping with suicidal ideation. A note to the bloggers on the line, please remember to clearly state your name and blog or organization in advance of your question. Respect our guest times, keeping your questions succinct and to the point. If you are not asking a question, we ask that you place your phone on mute. And we also ask that you keep your questions uh, in the lane of, of suicide awareness today. Uh, somebody else just joined us? The bottom of my heart for your support. And I always understand that freedom's not free. Sacrifice is understood. And more importantly, we as service members, all we want is a great welcome home. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. And Dr. Reidenberg, did you have a... Uh, actually, before we go to Dr. Reidenberg, somebody else joined. Uh, can I get your name, please? Hi, this is uh, Ken McGarrigal with the VA. Thanks, Ken. Okay, Dr. Reidenberg, you can go with your opening remarks. Uh, good afternoon, uh, everyone. Thank you for uh, joining this uh, very important uh, roundtable. Uh, thank you again to uh, the Major for your service to our country and to our world and to all of those uh, who have served and are, are currently serving. Uh, my name is Dr. Dan Reidenberg. I'm the Executive Director of SAVE, Suicide Awareness Voices of Education. <clears throat> we are a national nonprofit agency. We're based in Minneapolis, but we do work all over the country and the world. Uh, and we provide some of the bridge, I would say, uh, between uh, active duty, uh, military, and uh, the general community uh, in, in this light. Uh, generally speaking, we do public awareness campaigns of all types, indoor and outdoor advertising, any kind of advertising to raise awareness about the topic of suicide, suicide prevention, mental health, and mental wellness. We develop education and training programs, both for communities and for professionals, uh, including for uh, military uh, personnel, both uh, uh, current active duty serving as well as uh, <clears throat> veterans, uh, and for family members uh, have been part of several uh, uh, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon uh, campaign programs. Uh, we develop resources that we distribute worldwide. Uh, whether that is a poster or a brochure or wallet cards, uh, we have developed a specific wallet card for members uh, who have served our country or are currently serving. We did that in partnership with uh, Military uh, One Source and the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And that is a, one example of that bridge between um, what the, the federal government uh, provides and what, a, a, through a public-private partnership, uh, a, a nonprofit organization can do. Uh, we do that in part because we know that uh, not all uh, uh, members who are serving or who have served um, are comfortable uh, reaching out, for example, to the, the VA uh, or uh, currently actively serving, although we wish they would. And, and that's part of the, the importance of this call today is to make sure everyone um, is, is clear in the understanding that 
there are uh, there is great awareness available. There are many resources available, and uh, that uh, we all have a role in getting those who need those resources th th that help to those resources. Uh, finally, we have support programs <coughs> for people who have uh, lost someone to suicide. Uh, um, everything from best practice materials, booklets, and guides, uh, books, and uh, memorial programs that we run for them. Uh, I wanted to uh, spend just a little bit of my time um, uh, before we go to the questions talking about uh, the recommendations for media reporting on suicide, uh, which does include all of you as bloggers on this particular topic. I was fortunate enough to lead the task force, an international task force that developed the recommendations. They can be found at reportingonsuicide.org. That's reportingonsuicide.org, where you'll find examples on that site and even a section on uh, the second page of the actual recommendations specific to online uh, and blogging uh, pieces. Uh, what we know um, is really very clear. Uh, research from around the world uh, suggests that the way uh, media reports on suicide can impact on suicide contagion, uh, that if we can uh, help uh, the media uh, in doing their job, but not do their jobs for them, but help in that way that we reduce the risk of contagion. And that's particularly important with the, the data and the numbers that we've seen come out <coughs> over the last year, two years um, uh, from the media. Um, the final piece I would say is that um, this is, uh, in terms of technology, it's an evolving field. Um, next week um, in Oslo, Norway, I'll be releasing the new uh, best practices on tool for uh, online technology. Uh, and that was developed with a partnership between uh, my organization, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, Facebook, Twitter, Google, Yahoo, YouTube, uh, WordPress, and Tumblr. And those sets, the, this set of best practices um, will help uh, guide all platforms that are interacting with the public uh, uh, on what are the, the, at least the basic best practices, what are gold standard best practices. That will be released next week. So it's an evolving field. We don't have all of the answers yet. We do know, however, that how uh, people write about and talk about suicide does make a significant difference. So thank you for having me here today. I appreciate the opportunity, and that will end my time. Thank you very much, sir, uh, for your opening comments. And um, we'll go on to questions now. Remember to uh, please state your name and your organization. Michelle, you were first on the line. Good morning, everyone, and thank you, Major Perlito, and thank you, Doctor, for joining us this morning. Major Perlito, I would like to ask... Michelle, real quick, if, can you... Oh, I'm sorry, uh, military name. matters, <laughs> I apologize. I'm sorry, military matters. I want to ascertain, you were one of the earlier wounded within our wars these years, and we've had nine years since. Given what you originally had received with respect to your mental health needs and where we are today with respect to the Real Warriors campaign information as well as the other national organizations that are federal and state-funded, do you find anyone or have you been contacted by any of them with respect to how much you've been able to offer and how many have returned coming back to you indicating that this was a good resource, and the Real Warriors campaign has come an enormously long way uh, from when you first began. Do you see any of the information from those, not necessarily leading into the suicide, but reaching in for the help, 
through the Real Warriors campaign, through their organization directly? That's a great question. Every day we save lives. You all save lives every day, and the impact is, is strong. I would say uh, that I have seen uh, the whole system, if I can talk just a minute about that, the whole system change from when I was in the hospital to the way that we advocate and connect our veterans or our active service members with the supports that they need, a better understanding on the field, and that is at the unit level, that mental health needs to be um, an awareness tool, and utilizing the, the Real Warriors campaign as that tool, for me, DOD and the VA have taken that on and said, we're going to use this as information to put out, but that there is also other major resources that can be implemented uh, within the local communities. One example that I cite is that today I'm currently attending um, an event uh, here in Oklahoma. It's a strategic planning meeting, and I, because of my work with the Real Warriors campaign and all of the resources that are driving this force, that I was placed uh, by the governor on the um, Department of, of, um, of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services board representing our veterans community. And to me, that's when you know the system has began to change and that across the country we're beginning to um, use our, our, our young warriors that are coming back. Uh, folks like me, I mean, at 45, I'm a little bit older than the younger ones that are coming through, but the process is that we've got someone there advocating for their needs, not only at the state level, but utilizing the Real Warriors Strength Campaign um, to promote what we're trying to do uh, all over the country. And what you, you do with that is that you create a central point of delivery of services, and you raise awareness about the fact that from a peer-to-peer -peer standpoint, someone like me can go to a unit commander and say, you need to do this. And I've talked to generals to, uh, you know, all the way down to the, to the private level uh, of, of our service members. And to me, what I'm seeing is that they have a better understanding, but more importantly, uh, the Real Warriors campaign is really kind of a launching pad for other supports that are out there. And so, you know, I believe in it because I think you have to start somewhere. And certainly I also believe in the fact that you've got to have a system in place uh, that delivers and, and creates awareness and, more importantly, uh, creates the infrastructure for other organizations to become a valuable source to those that serve. And I hope that answered that question. You did indeed very well, very well. Thank you so much, and uh, we need to keep working at it for all of the all of those who do need this, the services, the mental health, as well as the family members. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah, one thing oh, I, sorry, sorry. Go not, ahead. Not to interrupt you, but one thing I did want to stress is because our young people utilize, um, and you all know this, you know, all of this technology. Uh, that's what I like about this, this system as well, is the technological advances from when I was there in 04 to what it is now. And I feel like I need to make that point that we are all being educated and also following the, the, uh, the system as it relates to utilizing the technologies that are available as well to, to basically tell our stories. Thank you very much. And uh, Judy Davis, you are next. Great. 
Um, my name is Judy Davis, and I'm the founder of the DirectionDiva.com blog that services the military spouse and family communities. And thank you so much for inviting me here to participate in this call. Um, it's a subject that is that we've experienced directly with our son and many of my readers are concerned with, so I appreciate us starting this conversation. And um, We're seeing a dramatic increase in the number of suicide attempts and symptoms of depression and things like that in our high school and college age dependents. And what I, my question is that I'm curious to know what, if anything, is being done for this growing at-risk population and what resources um, are available to the many college students that are away from their military families for the first time and are in, you know, many small towns and things that don't have TRICARE approved facilities. They're not close to a base, but they are becoming more and more at risk because not only are they're dealing with deployments and the residual PTSD that have happened since um, over time with you know, multiple deployments and things. So I'm just trying to find out what um, resources are available for this dependent population and if, you know, to create an awareness that it is becoming a serious problem in military families. Uh, Dr. Reidenberg, I'll be happy to uh, take the first uh, shot at answering this, and <clears throat> Major can follow up with anything that he is aware of. Um, I'd say a couple of different things. <clears throat> first of all, uh, the Jed Foundation out of New York <clears throat> has a number of programs for um, college campuses, uh, and for, well, both for the campus itself as well as for families and for um, <clears throat> the uh, uh, students attending. Uh, and they actually have some specific programs for uh, people who are uh, serving or, or have recently served and are trying to re return to their life. <clears throat> Just recently, a couple of months ago, um, they released a new certification program for colleges <clears throat> so that a college can apply, go through a series of uh, background pieces, uh, making sure they have all the right policies, procedures, resources available uh, for um, the people attending, but also for families and for the, the faculty serving, and get certified uh, as a school that's met a certain criteria. Um, there are other programs. Uh, we have programs uh, at my organization where we um, go to college campuses and we uh, meet with people. Uh, we we um, provide information for families so that they have a better understanding of that uh, gap period uh, uh, the transition period and the gap period uh, uh, that can help them uh, adjust and know what to look for, know what the signs are, uh, what to pay attention to. Um, I think you're correct that um, we are seeing things more now. Uh, we're, there's, there's no data to really show that um, there's more depression per se now than there was 20 or 40 or 50 years ago, but we are recognizing it more now, and part of it is the conversation about it. That's turning out to result in um, increased recognition of attempts. There are about 25 uh, attempts, suicide attempts, for every death by suicide uh, in this nation. Uh, there's uh, a, an attempt uh, in the world every 30 seconds. So we have a significant number of that, and specific to this population that you're just referring to, we have about 650 suicide attempts on college campuses every day. Um, there isn't a, a number that I'm aware of that's directly related to uh, military or veteran population. Uh, 
education on college campuses, as we know the attempts of 650, uh, generally speaking. Uh, but there are a number of resources out there, both programmatically and for communities, as well as for universities. Okay. Great. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, we, I think we had two people join us. Uh, can I get your names, please? J.C. Eckhart. J.C., okay. From military.com. Thanks, J.C. Anybody else? Hi. Uh, this is Bart Beekner from Debt Transitions. Thanks, Bart. And uh, as everybody knows, I'm just... Uh, please remember to keep your phone on mute if you're not asking a question. Uh, we're going to move on now to Alice. Hi, I'm Alice Swan. I write for dcmilitaryfamlife.com. I, I had two questions. Um, one for Major Paluto and, and then just a general question. Major Paluto, you mentioned your foundation, Warriors for Freedom. Do you have a website or can we Google that and, and find it? Yes, warriorsforfreedom.org and then folds of, honor, yeah, folds of Honor Foundation.org. The, I didn't hear your second. Yeah, yes, Folds of Honor Foundation, Folds of Honor Foundation.org. Let me just real quick. We give the spouses and children of the fallen wounded educational scholarships. Today we've awarded, or on page to award over 5,500 um, educational scholarships to children and then to children that are actually um, are, are, are young adults who are ready to go to college and then spouses. Okay. And the general question is, um, as a, a Army spouse here in D.C., we see, you know, we're inundated in our military newspapers with all of the programs. How, does, um, how do your efforts tie into uh, the Army's new um, Ready Resilient campaign, the R2C? Well, one of the things that we, we've been doing some of that stuff for a long time, we feel like um, connecting to our service members, um, utilizing peer-to-peer -peer support systems, um, and also gathering data uh, that is pertinent on our men and women in uniform um, and their families is truly important. In fact, right now we're embarking on a big project, um, with, and I'll soon be working with um, some folks at, with the DOD and, and the VA and others on some stuff dealing with education. What we find is that there's a lot of statistical data out there, but it's not readily connected to what we're doing. And for me, one of the things that I talk about in, in, in my everyday travels is resiliency. And I think somebody talked a little while ago about our suicide rates, um, not in the military, but just outside of the military. And what we're seeing is that there's a lot of stressors and there's a lot of, um, there's not as much what I call that peer-to-peer -peer mentorship that we need, we always talk about that is definitely needed. And that is also something that we have to translate to our military families because for me, one of the things that I learned real quickly was that my wife needed supports uh, during during the time that she was dealing with the issues at hand. And what happens is at times the family gets put to the side, the warrior's getting all of the all of the supports and, and all of the information, and their understanding of the military system um, is totally not where it needs to be. And so for us, I look at so many different levels, and, and you talk about resiliency and, and all of the things that, you know, whether it's active duty that they're embarking on. Um, I think at, at the end of the day, the most important thing is that we need to have the support systems in place to make sure that everyone understands what services are out there
and that the services that are out there are not overwhelming. And then also having best practice information and doing things that are non-traditional because what I've seen is that sometimes we go back and, and, and we look at what we've done in the past and what we need to do is make changes in the system overall. One example that I talk about is, and this is one thing that, that really goes into mental health with a lot of our veterans is nothing negative about this, but we are overwhelmed with the amount of disability cases that are going through the system. If you really look at that, that has a lot to do with mental health in that one thing leads to another. If you don't know what you're going to receive as a disability rating and you're on standby and you may be rated unfit for your future um, as far as continuing to serve, what we need to do is make sure that during that whole process there are supports in place so when that you do transition out, you transition into the civilian sector, if that's what is given, or you transition back into the military sector, but that the whole family unit has a safety net during that whole process. And I, I don't know if I've answered your question in that regard, but I certainly understand that for me, the biggest thing that I'm seeing right now is that peer-to-peer -peer interaction through the Real Warriors campaign and other outlets truly can be a beacon of light for recovery. If I could uh, follow up on that um, and add to that, I think that that's, I think that's exactly right. I think that one of the things that we know is that connections are incredibly important. Uh, when we, the Surgeon General, along with the task force that I served on, uh, released the national strategy for suicide prevention <clears throat> about a year ago, connections were incredibly important, as was resiliency. And if we can build on both of those, we know that those are protective factors. Those are things that uh, help build a, a wall and, and sense of protection for the person uh, when those darker moments uh, seem to occur. We know that uh, the stronger someone is, uh, the, the earlier we can get them intervention, uh, the more likely we are to help them through uh, those very, very difficult times. And uh, in doing so, that also prov uh, provides a sense for them that they can reintegrate, uh, whether it's after a brief hospitalization or it is um, uh, returning to their, their family, the stronger they are, the more they know they can get through it, and the earlier we can get them to that help, uh, the more successful they're going to be as they reintegrate um, uh, through this uh, psychological distress that they're having. And part of that is uh, simply educating and raising awareness to them that, that psychological distress is a normal, common occurrence as a result of the circumstances that they're in. And if we can continue to uh, raise that message, not the message uh, that we too often see that uh, they're, they're, they're not going to have access to care or they're not going to receive their benefits, uh, as the major just uh, referred to, uh, we heard about that just yesterday with the tragedy uh, where he had not uh, allegedly not received all of his, uh, what his benefits he was looking for. Um, I was part of a psychological autopsy of a Marine who uh, died by suicide who uh, had a very similar situation. He was very frustrated by not receiving some back pay that he was owed. If we can help build that early on, that, that they can get through it and how to get through it and with whom they can get through it, uh, we have a much better chance at, at reducing the, the numbers of suicides. And I would add to that, that is such great information right there. I would add that with people with traumatic brain injuries that are non-diagnosed um, or, as was just indicated, I will tell you the financial piece of all of this is a huge, huge stressor on our military. And 
not only that, but it's just the fear of the unknown, and then all of a sudden they feel like their nation and or the military, by rating them unfit, um, they're like, well, what do I do now? And I think that's where we need to have those major connections, and resiliency for me looks like this. When I go and speak to people, I'm often asked, well, how were you able to get through it? Well, what I was able to get through it is to be honest with myself, understand that I needed to be well, but more importantly, use the supports out there to basically not do what's a traditional way of doing business, and that was to keep everything inside and not talk about it. That's a great quote. Could you repeat it? <laughs> I wish I had a tape recorder. Don't worry, Thank this will you. all be... I, I'm, going, I'm recording all of this, and okay. there will be a transcript as well. Um, both of those will most likely not be ready until tomorrow, but I just want to let you know. And, Thank uh, you so much for your answering my questions. And next up is, is Shelly. Shelly, you there? Yeah, just a lot. Hi, this is Shelly Michaels Aberly, and I am with Military Ovation, which is just a state-focused nonprofit in North Dakota. I used to be the national communication officer for a large nonprofit across the, the United States, um, about 450,000 volunteers. We found out that I really wasn't doing enough for the local service members. My husband's newly retired colonel, um, chief of staff, after 33 years of service to the military. So I've seen a lot through the years. Um, we primarily focus with our um, organization with, um, we teach assist, um, it's an applied suicide intervention skills training. We teach assist to the um, veteran organizations and families because we do find that the service members do get a lot of information. Um, you know, if they're active or National Guard, they get a lot of information. But on the outside, the families um, aren't really getting the tools for intervention or more importantly here in North Dakota with as broad and big as our rural areas are that the, that the employers aren't. Per capita, we've got the most um, veterans in the state here um, across the nation as well as per capita serving. So we really need to get into the employers. That, um, they're the ones that are first line of defense, we feel. Do you um, know of any other organizations out there that are tapping into the employers? Because that's where we're really focusing. Um, the uh, Carson J. Spencer Foundation out of Colorado has a workplace program uh, that was uh, just run through the uh, um, uh, best practices uh, program. Uh, so you can find something about the workplace. Uh, you can find a whole series of uh, uh, programs and policies for businesses through them. Okay, thank you. Now, one of the things that I would say from a from a and I think big. Uh, I thought big from day one with the fact that as a foundation at Folds of Honor, you know, we have done a lot of great things and certainly um, are able to raise awareness all over the country by utilizing the media outlets to raise awareness about these issues. I see that right now we need to do, we, we can do even bigger things in regards to this issue. And one of the things that you brought up is educating our business community. I think that our business community um, is, is not as educated as they need to be in regards to the issues facing the men and women in uniform, not only when you get out of service, 
but certainly with the needs that they may have. And one of the, the three needs that kind of really kind of come to bear for service members um, and that I'm seeing is um, employment, health, and then also education as the key components that I see of success. And there are other things, don't get me wrong, but those things, if you really look at it with mental health being in that health piece of it, I think what you find is that um, it would be great to educate employers and educate um, states and the systems that, 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 are, that are supporting these warriors when they come back to let them know that, um, that on behalf of a grateful nation, we're not going to just honor you, but we're also going to provide you the tools and the resources to get you back to where you need to be to have a good quality of life. And to me, that is um, something that I would like to see on a national scale. And, and let me back up to this. There are some great folks that are doing some great PSAs and all of that. But what I find is the PSAs need to be very strong, and they need to be focused on on how the community wraps themselves around these individuals and, and, their, and the service rendered on behalf of these, uh, these service members. Because I think what happens is it's great that somebody can embrace somebody and take them on their, their wing and say, hey, we're going to take care of you and provide you these tools and these resources. But at the end of the day, it's that one-on-one mentorship, not even from the corporate citizen, that truly can be very important and rewarding uh, for these warriors when they come back. Can I follow that up, uh, if I can? Because um, I think there are a couple of really important points that the major just uh, mentioned. First of all, public awareness campaigns. Um, uh, my organization is the first that's ever done those, and we've studied them, and we do them larger than any other organization in the world. And what we've actually found is that there's risks doing them. And that's really important. When you're talking about a vulnerable population, somebody who has served and come back, whether they have a traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, or they're just uh, filled with anxiety coming back and trying to reintegrate, uh, if they see a, a public service campaign that isn't uh, exactly as the major just described, uh, there's actually some risk to to having that campaign out there. Uh, and if I could expand one little piece on, on uh, Shelley's question, um, because we have a lot of people that are returning and not getting employed, at least initially or as quickly or in the capacity that they really are qualified for, I would extend that need to the faith community because that is one community where people can return to and we do need to do more education and training and outreach and awareness with them so that they know how to respond and best help uh, those who served our country. So here, here in North Dakota, that's exactly what we're doing, too, is I've created a whole database of all the churches, and I mean every single church in North Dakota I've got on my database, and we're outreaching to them, showing and getting them back involved with supporting the service members and veterans. Um, we've got, with the oil field, we have hundreds of veterans coming into our state each day looking for employment and getting employment, but it's a really high, stressful job, um, and then they're away from their families, and I know... So there's a lot of, uh, you know, things in place. But to track them coming in is almost impossible, so we're just tapping into as many businesses in the oil patch as we possibly can. And I would add one of the strongest things that I ever received as far as messaging and, and uh, strength was the fact that my therapist, which I reached out to, I already had mental health awareness, but my therapist told me, you need to go and tell your story. And I'm not saying that everyone can tell their story, but what I'm learning is that there's a lot of service members out there that want to tell their story but certainly just don't know how to do it. 
And I, it brings to mind one individual that I'm working with right now. When I first met him, he could barely speak out in public to anyone. But through some 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 mentorship and and some, uh, some interacting and and asking him to put his story on paper, just like I did. What he was able to do is now go in front of people and basically tell his story. He gets emotional, but he also tells it because he wants to help someone else, and it's that pay-it-forward concept. And I, I don't think we talk enough about that, but certainly that's why I do what I do. I feel like I need to pay it forward for someone that took care of me. And um, I think we need to get back to those kind of strategies. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Yolanda, did you have a question yet? Or... Yolanda, are you there? I'm still here, yes. Okay. Did you have a question? Um, the, yeah, this is uh, Yolanda Arrington. I'm with the um, Health.mil uh, website for the military health system. And we're, um, I guess uh, my question would be if there's just sort of one sort of nugget or one takeaway or piece of advice. Um, our site is typically uh, viewed by... Uh, healthcare providers and people who have a strong sort of connection to military medicine. So is there any one thing that they need to know that, you know, from a service member's uh, perspective, uh, Major Polito, that you could address about suicide prevention? Well, I use every day, um, I tell warriors um, that I speak to that are in this, in the suicide aspect of life, I tell them, be a real warrior. We all have real battles, and what makes us strong is real strength. And I'm just telling you that because words do matter. And what I'm finding is that a lot of our service members want um, their story to go out, to be put out there, but they want to know that they, even though that they may hit a bump in the road, that the real strength of what they're trying to do is totally important. And I'm dealing with this with the fact that I get a lot of people. In fact, I got a call from a young man about a week ago who was through this campaign who reached out and said, I wanted, I, I didn't want to live anymore. I lost my family. I'm alone. Um, I need help. And what we were able to do is get him somebody to talk to. And he wanted, he didn't want to talk to an officer. And I got to tell you, sometimes that's a barrier on my end. And uh, I was able to connect him with another young man that we had worked with that was a private first class, and, and uh, this young man was a specialist. And the great thing about it is this young man who was a private first class, you know, injured severely, was able to help this other young man who was going through some battles and was going through the fact that he had lost everything. And I, it may be a slogan, but these aren't just slogans to me. They're words that resonate, and that's what I like about what we're doing with this campaign is we have to use those words because that's what words, those are the words that our warriors identify with and, more importantly, find strength in. And as I always say, when you get out of the military, what happens a lot is you just don't, you kind of lose that support system. And for me, one of the things that we do on a monthly basis is I connect with my fellow service members that I served with just to have fellowship. Not every time do they show up, but certainly one of the topics we talk about is suicide. And we talk about, is anyone experiencing anything like that? And of course, you know, everyone's doing well, et cetera. But what we like about it is sometimes they bring in a warrior and their spouse and their children to one of these dinners. And what happens is they may be going through these these internal battles and these silent wounds of war, 
And what we're able to see in their eyes is that depression and those issues that they're facing. And the great thing about it is after they leave, it's just so great to see that the family feels like somebody has just patted them on the back and said, I want to be part of your support system. And I, I hope, I, I don't know whether I answered the question or not. I'm just telling you that to me, that is the real strength behind what we're doing with this campaign. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, Jackie and Satara, did you have questions? Or a question? Okay, we'll move on to Rihanna. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm Rihanna Bernard from Camel Style Love. And my question is, what is in the works and what is being done, or what would you suggest be done for these spouses and these children that are experiencing the struggles of the service member right along with them when so many programs are really designed? for the actual service member. Um, what are your thoughts on those things? Doctor, you want to go first? <clears throat> sure. Um, I, I think that's a really an excellent question. Um, there's an organization called the Minnesota Military Family Foundation that uh, tries to address some of those things, both from just regular needs of washing machine broke down, they need a new washing machine, or their car's in trouble, to the psychological issues that, that they're facing uh, <clears throat> when their loved one is away or when they come, uh, when they hear that their loved one is in trouble or s struggling uh, or when they come back. Um, there, there are some things in the new national strategy for suicide prevention that address uh, some of these issues around uh, treatment and, and clinical care that uh, need to be expanded. Uh, uh, part of that is raising the awareness among uh, the providers in the community because the, the family members, the children, and the spouses are are not um, getting the same kinds of services that the, the service man or woman is getting. So we need to educate the general practitioner in the community as to uh, what's going on and, and how best they can help, how best they can um, navigate between two different worlds, the civilian world versus uh, the non-civilian world. So part of it is around awareness. Part of it is around training and education. Part of it is also directly to the families. <clears throat> we need to provide information to them uh, prior to uh, the person um, uh, becoming active duty, being, be before deployment, uh, throughout deployment and uh, subsequent to that. Uh, we do um, um, have uh, those who served uh, go through um, post-deployment uh, briefings and assessments, uh, but we need to actually install those same kinds of uh, programs for family members. Uh, everybody uh, in the family uh, sees this differently and they experience it differently. Uh, so we, we need to make sure that it's comprehensive and that uh, that they're not uh, seen as uh, separate from what's happened to their loved one. They need to be seen as an integral part of that system of care, the, that coordinated, comprehensive, all-connected uh, network that is going to help somebody get back out, as well as the family who's got to be strong enough and, and feel their support to be able to deal with while they're away. I think those are strong points, and now one of the things that comes to mind is I... I am seeing more and more in my travels, and of course people come to me about, uh, I'm seeing a lot of children and spouses uh, dealing with somewhat post-traumatic stress issues, um, and, and the reason is because 
um, whether there was a death of a warrior in their life, um, their loved one, of course, on battle, to uh, the fact that, uh, that they didn't really know the system very well. And so they were basically navigating the system with blinders to a lot of um, these family members dealing with individuals just like me with a traumatic brain injury. I wasn't diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury since I was was hit by the bomb in 04 and it wasn't until 08 that I really got diagnosed with with those symptoms and began to get some knowledge base about it. And you're talking about a four year cycle there or t- of time that all of a sudden, uh, you know, there are things that unravel and there are issues that happen and the families don't understand them. And, and certainly I hear from a lot of family members that I wish that there would have been, things would have been done differently, that early interventions would have occurred. And that's why this campaign is important. You know, the doctor has just indicated a lot of great um, you know, strength-based um, activities that I think need to be taking place. But that wraparound approach is really important. And I just can't tell you that, you know, there is a connection not only peer-to-peer on the veter- on the military side, but there needs to be a peer-to-peer on the family side. And also utilizing those faith-based organizations as strength um, as a way for places that people can go to seek this kind of help. And I do a lot of work with NAMI, Oklahoma. I know they're a national. Uh, also with SAMHSA, which is, of course, you know, um, the national group of, of mental health um, and, um, and certainly uh, connections. And so I think all of those things need to continue to place, continue to take, need to take place, and also that we need to continue to have great dialogue and, uh, and develop best practices. Um, thank you. Uh, I guess my concern is that um, what is available is is pretty fluffy, if you understand my meaning by that. I just I just would like some real serious serious steps taken towards some real serious um, So um, I guess that's just what I would encourage to happen. And you know, if you have any more thoughts on on that, um, especially for prior to deployment and after deployment. Well, I, I, let me follow it up because I think you're right. Um, you know, we went into this uh, last decade and had no idea what the outcome was going to be, and, and we've seen the numbers which are, are not uh, encouraging. Uh, on the flip side of it, we've seen lots of people get through this, uh, both those who've served and their families, and we need to build on that. And that's where Real Warriors comes through because they can – take those messages and get those messages out to help people. So somebody um, is just getting ready to deploy, uh, the more we can bring the family members in and explain to them what's going to happen, what the likely kinds of experiences that that their loved one is going to go through, and how that may or may not impact them, uh, as well as how it's going to impact them themselves as the spouse, as the child not being able to talk to one of their parents, as the spouse not being able to co-parent but now having to be a single parent, uh, what that reintegration is going to look like when they come back, uh, even whether they're coming back for <clears throat> on a week or for two months, it's very hard to reintegrate. So if we can get all of that up front, um, we can build that strength, we can build the coping skills, and, and Real Warriors has the ability to get those messages out to people and to families uh, to prevent some of the, the, the downsides of, of, of war that we've seen happen. Yeah, and as well as... Um 
um, you know, making sure that they understand asking for help isn't a death sentence for their their careers. So, um, anyway, thank you so much. Those those were great answers to my questions. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rihanna and uh, Kathy. You're still on. I am. You can go ahead with your question. Okay. Um, I'm Kathy Kling. I'm um, representing Homefront United Network today. Um, so thank you very much for having me. Um, I guess being, I'm a National Guard spouse, so um, one of my questions is, um, my husband just returned from his fifth deployment to Afghanistan, so I watch him very closely and look at our family and things of that nature. My question is, what for programs are put in place, whether they be federally funded or nonprofit funded, um, to help families uh, as far as um, what to look for. Um, being a National Guard family, we're not necessarily surrounded by um, the military 24-7 um, or anything like that. So now my husband doesn't have to return to the military side of things for 90 days. What for programs are out there to help our families look for signs and symptoms and 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 be able to reach out? Well, I can talk a little bit about that. I, I have to tell you that I represent Oklahoma on this issue. Uh, we were able to bring in to, uh, into a network a group of organizations that are working in this space, and all of them do different things. We've got one that does veterans court, We've got one that does, uh, we have two that actually do direct counseling. Um, some do um, grief counseling. Um, some also do um, counseling as it relates to just general family counseling within the, the unit. And, uh, and what we were able to do is also utilize at, at our level um, our Secretary of Veterans Affairs, which is actually a lady that has served and certainly is not your traditional Secretary of Veterans Affairs. I mean, she's, she's just a spitfire, and she understands these issues. And by convening a group of like organizations across the state, what we were able to develop is those strength-based activities related to mental, physical, and uh, wellness for these families to basically provide that wraparound approach. And, of course, we also had to have the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services provide some seed money to have these organizations meet, develop a strategic plan, and also implement that plan. And that's a start. I'm not saying that's where it is, but that's a start. And Okay. What we found is that there was a there 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 was an awareness issue with families accessing that. But what we're finding is that we had to have what we called a veterans navigator, and that veterans navigator would work with all of these organizations to be that channel and that and that outlet of telling the story. But also, here's the access points for services. And I'm not saying we're there yet, but certainly that's creating the infrastructure of where everybody has buy-in for the one mission, and that is to take care of not only the service member, but their families. Okay. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. 
And if I could just follow that up, a couple um, uh, other specific pieces. Uh, obviously, the Veterans Crisis Line, uh, which is part of the National Suicide Prevention Line, uh, <clears throat> that has information for both active duty, reserve, and guard on it, and uh, confidential veterans chat. It also provides the phone number for the National Lifeline and a texting service, uh, as well as resources, including what the signs of a crisis would be. Uh, if uh, somebody is interested uh, uh, relative to this topic and they don't want something that's more federally based but they want something more private, they can go to uh, SAVE's website, which is just save.org, and, and um, like anybody in the general public, they can learn the warning signs of suicide, they can learn what to do and, and where to go for help. Thank you very much, Doctor. I appreciate it. Thank you. And, <clears throat> sorry, Ken, you are next. Uh, I didn't have any questions, really. Just uh, you, you kind of covered what you guys uh, mentioned about the VA and the 1-800-9 line. Could you maybe just reiterate that and how you uh, maybe recommend the people go to that? 273-TALK. Yep, uh, that's 1-800-273-8255 or 800-273-TALK. And if they press 1, they'll be connected with somebody who um, is is uh, within the, the veteran system or military and they have specific information that can help them with that. And they, they can also text to 838-255 uh, for a, a text conversation. And if they um, go to the veterancrisisline.net, veterancrisisline.net, they'll be able to see a button for uh, confidential veteran chat. All are um, really the top-of-the-line services uh, being provided uh, through uh, the, the VA in Canandaigua where you have... Uh, I've, I've been there and I've seen when a rescue has taken place and the, the passion and commitment that they put into this, it's, it's phenomenal. They really do want to help and they will help anybody who calls, whether that's a family member or it's somebody who needs, uh, is in crisis themselves. And, and as a spokesperson of the Real Warriors campaign, uh, folks can call 866-966-1020, go to realwarriors.net. Could you repeat that? Uh, yes. Uh, it's uh, the Real Warriors campaign hotline, uh, yes. consultants 24-7-866-966-1020, or they can go to realwarriors.net and see the video profiles, the PSAs. I send a lot of people to, to see the PSAs. In fact, I think that's one of the stronger uh, points here um, is the fact that they can look at other videos of other service members and say, you know, um, there, I'm, I'm seeing the same symptoms here. Certainly stigma is an issue, and I think that's why these resources are, are very, very important. And, you know, if, if anybody ever wants to call me, you know, I, I tell you what, I, I'm sure that they'll be able to put out my email address. I don't have a problem speaking to people, and and uh, but I tell people utilize these resources because that's the only way we're going to get the word out is by doing what we're doing today, and that is taking the time to honor those that have served and giving them the resources and tools to have a great quality of life. Thank you, and uh, JC, you, are you still on the line? JC, there. Okay, uh, we'll go to Bart. 
Hi, this is uh, Bart Beekner, and uh, I wanted to first respond to one of the earlier comments or questions about uh, employer involvement. And uh, uh, there's a group called National uh, Committee for Employer Support of Guard and Reserve, or ESGR, and I do some volunteer work for them. And uh, they have a network with employers, and uh, it's organized at the state level. Every state has an ESGR committee. And uh, in terms of getting people placed with jobs, in terms of working with employers to help them understand the needs of uh, uh, returning veterans and create a more supportive uh, network and environment, that's a good group. Uh, the one that I work with in Michigan, we're working on setting up some mentoring programs. Uh, something that seems to be coming up more frequently is that companies are creating veterans' affinity groups uh, internal to the companies, and a lot of companies are supporting that, and that becomes a really valuable a uh, way to find people that can be mentors to help people uh, into the private sector. So it's just uh, that, that's a response to that. The other thing, uh, I'm in the process of finishing up a research project on mentoring of uh, student veterans on college campuses. And one of the things that's come out of that uh, is you know, two things. One is that the transition advising through TAP and through leaving the service is, is all group processes, at least the way these guys are experiencing this, and it's not a one-on-one -on -one mentoring that helps them to uh, make a transition in a personal way, particularly if they're going into higher education. And then once they get into higher education, in terms of maintaining uh, a good uh, mental health, uh, the if they go into a school that's primarily set up as a pedagogy, uh, to, you know, just to big, big classrooms and not personal connection with, them, uh, with uh, the faculty, there tends to be a, a lot of disconnect uh, potential there. And so the veterans that go into smaller schools or schools that specialize in adult education, uh, where the relationship uh, among the students is more participatory rather than one way down feed, uh, it makes a huge difference in the way they experience that. So the question part of that would be uh, if your group is advising uh, veterans as they transition out, uh, either at the top level or beyond, uh, that's a really important thing to consider is the fit of how they uh, pick their, their environment coming uh, back, whether it's into higher education uh, where they're going to get some or to a company that has a supportive group uh, internal. Did you, uh, were you, did you have a question? Uh, yeah, the question is, uh, I guess, are, are your organizations partnering with groups that work uh, on college campuses that provide that kind of uh, advising and mentoring in, in, in terms of preventing uh, people getting into environments where they're going to be mismatched and not fitting in as well and therefore having mental health program problems down the road rather than uh, just kind of waiting for them to happen when they get into the environment where it's not a good fit. Well, well Dr. Reinberg, I think that's an, that, that is a really excellent point. I think it's, it's a great observation. Um, I'm not sure any, of anyone in the nonprofit world that is uh, doing that specifically. I, I've written it down, and I think it's something that needs definitely to be pursued. Uh, thank you. And, and as far as it engaging in that, uh, if you're familiar with the Student Veterans of America, that's a group that has an amazing network. I think are on 850 college campuses, and they are not a robust program in terms of services. Uh, they only have like eight people on the national staff, but it's it's a great network and a good way to engage again for nonprofits like yours. And that that makes me think of a uh, that that would be a good channel. I'll follow up on that.
Thank you very much. Now, is there anybody on the line who has yet uh, has not had a chance to ask a question yet? Hi, William. This is Ashley from um, Army Public Affairs, the Army Line blog. I have one, well, semi-quick question mm -hmm. for Major Pluto. Hi, sir. Um, thank you again for the opportunity. Um, quick question. I think someone mentioned earlier briefly about stigma, and I know here at um, headquarters this is something that we've been talking about a lot, especially over um, this month about soldiers seeking help. Um, but hesitant to do so because of that stigma of something being wrong with them and it possibly hurting their career. So dual question. One, did you have that issue in 2004 when um, you were going through um, your issues? And two, what would you tell a soldier today who wants to seek help but is hesitant about doing so because of the stigma? I have to tell you that I did. Um, I was rated unfit for duty, and I thought that I can continue to serve in some capacity. But I also came up with the realization uh, through mentorship by my father that it was probably a good thing for me to go home and seek out new employment and start my life um, in the civilian sector. And that reality is very tough. And so uh, it, to me, there was stigma behind that. Um, I think one of the things that um, the stigma behind that was the fact that if I do report that I have these issues, am I going to continue to do the job that I was going to be able to do? And uh, that wasn't the reality. But certainly, I don't see that as a negative. I just see that as that was where the system was at that point. I think there are commanders out there, and there are leaders that um, certainly don't look at that um, and don't look at that mental health and getting support um, in, in the best positive way. I encounter them. And one of the things that I talk about is the stigma has to, has to go away because what happens is in this, in this, um, in this arena and in, during in these conflicts, there's a lot that's happened. And a lot of us have combat patches. We've been in the geographical zone and uh, the operational zone of being in that area. And, and we have an understanding of it. And in having that understanding, we ought also have an understanding of the issues that we face, and we shouldn't just do PowerPoints, and we shouldn't just do message boards. We, we need to take, go the extra mile and really learn about these symptomatic issues and have better training to let people know that it is normal to have these experiences, and it is normal to um, to seek help, and, and in seeking help that you're looking looked at as being uh, strength-based as opposed to uh, having some weakness. And I think when we're able to do that, we will change the climate. I think that young officers, when they come in, should be taught this. And also our non-commissioned officers and young enlisted. Um, and I think that that's what that, that, that unit-level training needs to have a component of. And certainly um, I, 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 would, uh, I would do this as well. I travel across the country, and there are a lot of units that ask me to come in and speak. And the ones that do are the ones that are that are the ones that are looking out for their folks and understand wellness. Uh, the ones that don't, and I've had some of those say, "I don't want to bring you in because I don't want you to scare my troops." Well, at the end of the day, we're not being scared by anybody. Being scared is being on that battlefield and doing the things that you did. Coming back is a is a sign of being strong and and being honored uh, on behalf of your, of this nation. And that's the welcome home that we should all receive. I, I, 
I know we're way over time, but I, I do want to follow it up because I think that was excellent. And I think the other piece that's going to help us reduce stigma is if we can continue to change the conversation and the dialogue to understanding that uh, these illnesses that happen in the brain that's what they are. They are brain illnesses. They are brain diseases. <clears throat> Whether you're talking about post-traumatic stress disorder, an anxiety disorder, a mood disorder, they are illnesses that um, you would never leave a, a fallen uh, soldier behind. You wouldn't, if, if they were struggling, if they were hurt in any other way, you wouldn't leave them behind, and they shouldn't be left behind. Whether it's before they go to battle, whether in battle or after battle, you shouldn't leave anybody behind because something hurts in their head. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, sir. And as as you guys said, uh, we are at the end of our time now. Um, Major Polito and uh, uh, Dr. Reidenberg, if you have any closing remarks, you can go ahead with those now. Well, I can go. I just want to thank everyone for their participation today. This is a big step in what we do in collaborating and partnering on behalf of those that serve. And on behalf of a grateful nation and my service and all of those that have served in the Armed Forces of the United States of America, thank you for your support. We will never leave anyone behind on the field of battle, and we will always welcome home, not only from the home front side of it, but we'll welcome home those families who have sacrificed so much as well. Uh, I want to uh, thank again the, the, the major, the Real Warriors campaign for all of their fantastic work that they've done to help uh, save people's lives and save families. Uh, and I, I guess my final uh, imparting piece would be that um, for all of the work that medical health professionals, mental health professionals, uh, organizations like mine provide, uh, those of you that are on this call today, you have an equal opportunity to help save people's lives by what you do with this information. By reporting on um, all of the, the many resources available, the seriousness and the importance of this issue, um, the success stories of the people that have survived and thrived, uh, like uh, the major who's on this call, um, you can help, truly help impact saving other people's lives. So I would uh, thank you for, for that opportunity. I'd like to thank you both. Uh, you've given some great answers today, and thank everybody on the line for your questions. Uh, again, You'll be able to find uh, an audio file today of this program today as well as a transcript online at dodlive.mil. Uh, that concludes today's roundtable. Uh, thank you very much, everybody on the line, and feel free to disconnect at this time.